and it is best to call off this doomed engagement before it is the cause of any more strife. Of course, I would never besmirch her reputation. My mother and Lady Danbury will make a plan. There should be no plan. Uh, I do not understand. Why are you suggesting this? All along, you have been set on marrying my sister, despite my every objection, might I add, and now you intend to cast her aside. Why? And do not talk to me of dowry, sir, for we both know you have no need of it. So tell me, what has she done? She has done nothing, it is you. You have made this match impossible. But I am leaving for India. And it is not far enough. Do you think that there is a corner of this earth that you could travel to far away enough to free me from this torment? I am a gentleman. My father raised me to act with honor, but that honor is hanging by a thread that grows more precarious with every moment I spend in your presence. You are the bane of my existence. And the object of all my desires. Hello everybody, Bradley here, and welcome back to another episode of Let's Dive Deep. Today, we are diving deep into the hit Netflix series Bridgerton by taking a look at the fifth episode of season two entitled An Unthinkable Fate. As always, this episode contains adult content. In this episode of Bridgerton, we got some horny daydreams, we got some people almost kissing a bunch, we got a lot of stuff that wasn't quite, you know, sex, but it was kind of pre, there was a lot of sexual tension going on, so if you don't want to hear me talk about that, or if you don't want to, like, listen to this in your car where there's kids around or whatever, this is your warning to hop out of the podcast, just in case it gets a little too adulty for you. Additionally, this episode will not contain any spoilers past episode 5 of season 2. However, just be aware that through Twitter and Reddit and just being on the internet and doing a Bridgerton podcast, I have been spoiled on some of the things that happened in this season, so I have not watched the episodes past episode 5, but if I seem a little clairvoyant, it's because I have been spoiled on a few things here or there. None of the big details, though, actually. I'm finding out that I actually have not been that spoiled about some of the really big details because I thought I knew where some of the things were going, and it turned out not to be true after this episode so who even knows how spoiled I am however just be cautious just in case I do seem a little clairvoyant and finally, before we get started today, if you are enjoying the podcast, be sure to leave it five stars on whatever podcast app you're listening to this on. A Spotify just got a new, like, star rating system, so after you've listened to a couple episodes there, feel free to leave a star rating there. Be the first person to do that. That would be pretty cool. Leave a review wherever you are. I got a bunch of emails this week about the last couple of episodes of the podcast and people's thoughts on it, and I've definitely collected enough feedback for a couple of listener feedback episodes, so keep on emailing your feedback about the show, about the podcast. Podcast to let's dive deep pod at gmail.com we have a twitter at let's dive deep and if you want early access to all these episodes and you want a little bit of bonus content some show notes those types of things uh, feel free to head over to patreon.com it's a little value for value exchange system where you throw a couple bucks into the let's dive deep tip jar of sorts to help pay for the hosting fees and everything and then i give you access to the episodes a little bit earlier than everyone else and everyone wins and nobody loses and it's a wonderful time so feel free to head over there i think that's it that's all though i think it is time Ladies and gentlemen, if you will indulge me, let's dive deep into Bridgerton. Have you decided what you will do? Long have I wrestled with it, but I see no other option. I will talk with Miss Edwina today and see my way to ending things. It is the only way to ensure that the two of us can be rid of this impossible situation. Once the engagement is over, our paths need never cross again. It will be as if we had never met. 
You cannot. You cannot do that. You, you cannot me. break my sister's heart. She is all things good and true, a kinder soul you will never find. She has loved me as well as any sister could, and I could not live with myself if I robbed her of her happiness and the future she deserves. I do not understand. You have been against this union from the start. I was wrong! I will not be the cause of you losing your honor any more than I can stand to see Edwina in pain. You once saw her as your perfect match, you will find your way to believing it again. Please. Please, Lord Bridgerton. Antony, you must keep your word. You must marry my sister. You must marry her as soon as you can, because this feeling that plagues us so, it will pass. It will become tenable, it will become bearable, and soon enough it will be as if we never felt it at all. Mere passion. It must, because it has to. Very well. I shall see that the wedding shall take place as soon as possible. Episode 205, an unthinkable fate, which we all know is really not that unthinkable. I think we, we, we know they think about it quite often. I did my own sleuthing for this. I am realizing now that it actually, if you just watch the episode, this is fun. You guys will like this. If you watch the show, it actually tells you who the writer and the director were at, on the show. I don't need to go to IMDb. I can just take it in my notes because it comes up on the screen, which I had not noticed up until this point. Uh, so the writer for this episode is Abby McDonald. The director is Tom Verica. And whoever updated the IMDb to just put Chris Van Dusen for all the episodes, you need to watch the show and update. Can I update that? Is it like Wikipedia? I don't know. Uh, but for the first episode, I think I've got the writer and director both correct. For an episode score, I'm going to go 8.3. I rest with this a lot uh, this episode has a couple of the things that i have not liked the most about this season so far but overall especially on a second viewing i was much higher on this episode the second time around which is why it's important for me to watch once for fun and once to take notes because once i really started watching it a second time and taking my notes and everything this episode really vibed for me i really enjoyed it uh, i'm gonna go 8.3 i'm not sure where that sits if it's the highest episode of the season or tied but it's certainly up there with episode three uh, be in your bonnet for me i i just i just super enjoyed this episode for my Anthony score, it's got to be 12 out of 10. 15 out of 10? Is there a number high enough? A million? That defense sequence of the Sharmas at the dinner, just, I've never seen a stock market, you know, arrow rise as fast as Anthony's in that moment. For all the Anthony kind of skeptics out there, there's no way, no one can actually tell me that that scene wasn't perfect. On the, on the, on the edge of being, or just after, being told that he's part of some scheme for money or whatever, at least that's how it's coming across to him in the moment, he still takes the time out of his dinner to defend the Sharmas and kick the Sheffields out. Like, oh, just, uh, that was that was awesome. I, I like that a lot. We'll talk more about it, of course. But Anthony score a, a million out of 10, 12 out of 10, I don't know. Just write whatever number above 10 you want to write before 10, and that's the score I'm giving Anthony for this episode. Things I liked, obviously, Anthony. I'm just, I just put in my notes, Anthony, dot, 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 just, yep. Like, that's just him. I liked Anthony in this episode. This season, I'm telling you, this season had such a high bar to set or a, a, a high mountain to climb to get me to like Anthony, but I think I'm over the hump now. I think I made it. I think episode five took them five hours. I think I'm on the side where the needle is ticked 
from kind of it went from dislike to kind of indifferent and now i think i'm in the green kind of like character category on anthony just fantastic episode for him uh charithra chandra and i have not mentioned her at all uh but the actress who plays edwina brought her a game to this episode i was really impressed not that she i, I thought she's been acting poorly this whole time or anything like that uh, but i just want to call out the good performances when you get them uh, i've mentioned simone An ashley and jonathan bailey a whole bunch and i just want to give charithra chandra her her kind of moment here to shine because she was phenomenal in this episode a lot of her scenes required a little bit of subtlety and a little bit of nuance between different sets of emotions and I, she just nailed it for me uh just an incredible performance from her this episode i enjoyed that eloise was progressing a little bit you know she's kind of taking it's been however many episodes eight plus five eight plus four twelve uh, twelve hours so far of bridgerton where eloise is kind of a one-note character and we agree with her as the audience she's our avatar we agree with her criticisms of the system but it's nice to see her just go and do something with all of that energy she goes to meet theo who will be the new sienna in my mind and then uh she goes to this little seminar hall where they're talking about women's rights and stuff and i like that for eloise she's just progressing she's taking all this pent-up energy that the show has like built into her and she's just unleashing it somewhere and i am happy about that because it would have gotten pretty stagnant pretty quickly for her and then finally, the whole you are the bane of my existence scene, that entire scene, I put in my notes that it may be the sexiest thing I've ever seen on TV. So I don't know, man, that scene did it for me. That was incredible. I enjoyed I, I just I that. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah, that was an awesome scene. Everything about it. The dialogue was fun. The acting was great. I, I believed it all, which was even harder to do because the story is kind of make pretend in a way. And so uh, it's like a high, it's a high romance story, right? You know what I mean? And so the emotions are all heightened. The situations are all heightened. It suspends the disbelief a little bit. But in that scene, I was just like right there vibing with them. I enjoyed that a lot. So yeah, the whole, that whole scene was incredible. The things I didn't like, though, womp womp, the fucking interrupting. Can we stop this shit? I cannot stand this. I actively hate this. This might be the thing I like least about Bridgerton so far in total, in all both seasons. You can't you can't write like this this is not sustainable writing you can't have a character like kate be interrupted 150 times and have like she's 26 years old there's no reason for her to just like let edwina walk away there right like she's trying to tell edwina about the thing then she gets interrupted by lady danbury i get that edwina kind of just runs off she can be like hey edwina wait a second i really do this is actually important like like that you cannot write this and the reason why you cannot write like this is it becomes a plot point 20 minutes later at the end of the dinner 10 minutes later where everyone's like kate you lied to me kate how could you kate ah it's like well she i can point to a couple of times in this season where she was going to tell people the truth kind of not about her feelings for anthony but at least about the sheffield fortune and then the show just interrupted her for no reason whatsoever and i I cannot stand when people write like this. It is super lazy. And I, you get one for me. You get one or two. You can interrupt. Like It is a plot device, and it does happen in real life, where you're about to go do something, and then you get interrupted, and then the timing's not right, and then you got to find another time, but you can't, and so you miss out on it. Like, that happens in real life, but you can't do it every episode multiple times, characters just getting interrupted as like a as a dramatic device. And I, I, I was mad when I... that. Mm -mm. That was the one thing I liked even less on the second viewing, because that whole scene makes no sense to me. And then the other thing I didn't like, and I'm still on it, I, I, have, I have not seen this opinion online or anything. I might be the only person. Mama Bridgerton is just 
grinding my gears. Now, I'll never put somebody in the didn't like category for doing things I don't like. Like, it's a show where some of the characters I'll like, some of them I'll dislike, some of them I'll agree with, some of them I won't. And that's not a good reason to not like something is because you disagree with it. That's the point of television. However... Mama Bridgerton, again, is just whatever the scene needs her opinion to be is what her opinion is. So she like walks in and is scolding Anthony about Edwina or whatever, which is ridiculous because all she's ever wanted was for him to marry. Like, I, whatever, whatever. I've talked about it enough. But then finally, she kind of I, I think she goes for a low blow here where she talks about the 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 example he's setting his siblings and then brings up like what would your dad think what would your dead dad think about this like fuck off mama bridge like i no i'm out no this is not mm -mm. Mm -mm. low blow i'm i'm firmly putting that in the low blow category which means you automatically end up in the things i didn't like section that is mm, i'm not i'm not i'm not in with that that it didn't feel out of character per se but her like her opinion on anthony's marriage is literally just whatever the scene needs it to be at that time and i i'm not a big fan of that especially when it makes her like kind of mean right unnecessarily mean in this scene I, I, there is a lot of good in that scene that i want to talk about so we'll talk about it when we get there in the scene by scene analysis but yeah i was not a fan of that Let's hop into the scene-by-scene scene analysis, though. We start the episode in Kate's brain, where she is. Is what we call a daydream. Like, I wonder if the ladies that listen to this have a term for this. Like, what do you what do you call your, like, fantasy daydreams? I don't know. Like, is there a name for them? I don't know if... Do we have a name? Guys, guys out there, do we have a name for our version of this? I don't know. It feels like it needs... Uh, it's not really a daydream. It feels like it needs its own kind of name. Anyways, uh, Kate is all in her brain, kind of fussed about Anthony and, you know, thinking back to the bosom touching and all of that stuff. And then we kind of snap out... Oh, actually, she has to fan herself, which was a really funny little, little uh, use of a prop there, where she kind of snaps out out of it she has to fan herself and then immediately anthony walks in and you get the walk and the gaze and the miss sharma and the their hands almost touch and it's just such a funny kind of just a fun way to open this episode we we now fully understand that not only does kate have feelings for anthony they have rapidly progressed into like sexual i don't know again i don't i mentioned this in the mid-season um the mid-season episode i did with mia where I, I don't want to take for granted that Kate knows more about sex than all of the other kind of women and the, the young women in this show, because that's not something I should take for granted. But it kind of appears like she does, or at least she kind of understands. She understands, like, if she's feeling horny, she understands kind of how to direct that a little bit. Like, I don't know how to describe. This is what you listen to the podcast for, for sure, everybody. I don't know how to, like... I don't know, because if you don't know what sex is and you're feeling horny, like, how do you know what that is or how to direct that energy or, like, what is it you're... I get the sense that Kate fully understands what she's feeling, so that leads me to believe she just has more of a knowledge about sex than the other people in this show. But anyway, the fanning bit was absolutely hilarious. It turns out we're at the palace with the queen. Anthony walks in, kisses Edwina on the hand. Lady Danbury does a cool little look over to Kate like, I'm on to you. I saw that. I saw you whip that fan out like, you need to behave, Kate. We are in the palace with the queen and you will not ruin this. The queen has a bunch of super funny lines here uh call back to season one with the no special licenses i hope which is just so funny when you talk about kind of the special license for daphne and the duke from from season one uh, which was great because he had that the duke had that awesome scene where he kind of defends daphne and like the, he talks about love or whatever i can't remember exactly how it went but that was an awesome scene 
Anthony wants the wedding to be at Aubrey Hall, which I would say yes. That is where, if I had my choice of wedding venue out of the places I've seen on Bridgerton, certainly Aubrey Hall is the place I'd want to go, especially if that was my house. I would super love that. Uh, but I, I'm a little bit confused as to why Anthony wants like a modest country affair. I suppose that's kind of his vibe. He's doing it for the duty. He's doing it not for love, but for his you know honor or whatever. So maybe the modest affair in the country kind of vibes with that a little better. The queen is like, nah, uh, uh, no way. We are doing this in London. We are having a giant party. And guess what, Anthony? I'm hosting it myself. The The monarch of your country is hosting your wedding and you don't even get a choice. So eat it, Anthony, because your wedding's at the palace now, which <laughs> I just think is such a funny way to wield your power as the queen where you're, you, you have all of this power and you're just using it to dictate where people have their weddings, which I think works out well for Anthony. Not that he needs to worry about money or anything, but does he have to pay for it still? Like if the queen's hosting it, doesn't the palace kind of cover all the costs of the wedding? Which would be super ideal in this case, because I can't imagine this big style wedding would have been very cheap. But also, if Anthony was only planning to spend on a small kind of family affair, uh, him having to splurge out on a wedding at the palace would be very expensive in comparison. So I think this actually works out quite well for Anthony. I, I reckon, though, that this is pretty bad news. I think the queen hosting this wedding is going to end up being bad news. But for now... It's great news, and it's fun, and I'm excited to see this wedding. The queen turns to her servant and says something about Lady Whistledown, and I just wrote, Yeah, queen, you you show that Lady Whistledown who's boss by hosting a giant wedding. That'll... I'm, just, I'm confused as to what the play here is from the queen. I suppose it's that she picked the diamond... And then the diamond is marrying the most eligible bachelor. And this was her. She does say, like, for a true love match that I organize. Like, she's trying to take the credit for it. And I think that's, that's, I think the hosting of the wedding is just a way to, like, show the world that she's still top dog. That she still picks the diamonds. That Lady Whistledown is shit. And that you should, like, when it comes to this gossipy stuff, the queen is on her A game. And Lady Whistledown's on the B level. And I guess that's what's going on. But it kind of played in the scene like, yeah, you show Lady Whistledown by hosting a giant wedding. That'll that'll show her definitely good. Good work, Queen. <laughs> and then Kate, uh, when the Queen says there's a true love match, Kate, Kate hilariously rattles her glass. But it's not even in a realistic way. It's just like so loud and so rattly. And she almost spills the tea everywhere. And everyone just stares at her. And Lady Danbury must be like, oh, I gave you the look. Kate, the look before you entered the room, that was the don't rattle the tea glass, the teacup look. And you fucking did it, Kate. Like, come on. I get it. You like Anthony. But can we have some composure for 10 seconds to get through this chat with the queen before we start rattling teacups? Kate, come on. Over at the Featheringtons, things are going really well if you are Prudence and really poorly if you are every everybody else. Prudence has a ring now. She's showing it off. But beware, you cannot touch it. That was really funny. Uh, Miss Featherington is, you know, you know, wealthy people and their problems in her giant ass fucking house, uh, claiming she's unable to scratch together sixpence, which, okay, whatever. And I'm also confused as to how all of the society works. Like, don't they have a country, like, I think, like, as a baron, so, like, Lord Featherington was a baron, which I think, it's less than a Viscount, but I think you still own land. And you make your money from collecting taxes and stuff on the land, and I'm assuming crops and stuff as well. So I guess the thing is, like, they're still collecting all that money, but they're just really in debt from the last Featherington, so they don't actually get to keep all that money. But saying you're unable to scratch together sixpence when you have a servant, like, 
as long as Miss Varley is employed at your house, you cannot claim that you do not have a lot of money. I think that's a good metric to, to go by. But anyways, uh, she's claiming she can't uh, save any money. Cool. Mr. Featherington, uh, cousin Jack, is like, hey, this, <laughs> this is your fault. I had a plan with Miss Cowper. I was going to marry her. We would have had her dowry, which must have been massive if you can live comfortably off a dowry. I didn't realize it was that much money. And then she, Miss Featherington, goes absolutely bonkers and blames him for this whole thing, which is ridiculous. So here's how this happened. Mr. Featherington knew he was broke and knew they were broke. And he had a plan, which was going to work, to marry Miss Calper to get the dowry and then they would have money easy peasy lemon squeezy simple plan it's going to work everything's awesome everything's great it was Mrs. Featherington who came in with the whole prudence in the orangery plan and ruined the whole thing and then she has the gall to go up to him and be like if you had just told me your plan sorry if I took you at your word like huh, this is a hundred percent your fault he had a plan you ruined the plan it's not your job to like take people at their word or whatever so you can do some weird substitute subterfuge and throw your daughter out to the marriage wolves like that's not mm -mm. i'm out on i'm not out on it i think it's very funny i'm siding with cousin jack you're 100 not even i'm not even giving an inch to lady featherington in this is ridiculous lord featherington again comes up with what i think is a pretty good plan just like hey call off the engagement everything will be good i'll go marry miss cowper my plan is still fine we'll still get all the money bazinga bazonga everything's good and then she goes and ruin my poor Prudence, that is not an option. Lady, the only reason Prudence is in this mess is because you said, hey, I need a really stupid person to marry Cousin Jack, and you just threw your daughter at him and, like, trapped her in the orangery and won't even tell her what sex is. Like, no, 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 no. Ruining poor, ruining poor Prudence. Like, what are you ruining? I don't understand here. Lady Featherington is off her rocker, I tell you. This is ridiculous. He... <laughs> Cousin Jack seems to, like, have a good head on his shoulders and understand the problem they have and has a pretty good solution, and Miss Featherington is the one that seems determined to make things worse. I forgot to mention this in the adult content warning, but we hop over to art school where Benedict is painting and there's nude models. Not that this is unusual, but there are boobs in this episode, and that should have been in the adult content warning, but that is okay. We just, we're just popping in to let us know that Benedict is at art school and there's, they're painting people. I don't, I don't know what the purpose of this scene is, but it happened, and it happened right before we head over to the Bridgerton house. Anthony seems stressed. He seems like, you know, he, he, what I like about Anthony in this scene is like his level of stress matches that he's not really doing this for love. He's kind of just doing this for the duty and he's a little bit worried about it and he likes Kate and there's all these emotions and everything. So it, it works for me. All of the Bridgerton siblings are just being useless and unhelpful and just throwing japes around, which is very, very funny. Uh, Benedict's your overcounting to Eloise was really good. Collins, you poor soul was also so, so funny. I, I, enjoy, I just enjoy these little moments with the Bridgerton siblings where they're just throwing barbs at each other super fun anthony though to his credit has a really good sense of the prep i was surprised here he seems like on daphne levels of understanding the plan like hey the queen he, he goes really quick from family at aubrey Hall's like okay uh, the queen toasting so we're gonna have to get ready to host here so everyone will be on display benedict you gotta clean those hands paint is not allowed at my uh, you barely convinced me that poetry was real a couple episodes back so benny you gotta clean those hands before you get in here hey servant man can you make sure the carriages are polished we need to look good uh we need to be able to entertain here i just like anthony seems to know what's going on which is it's nice to see competent anthony kind of planning this kind of post-wedding party i, I enjoyed that
I think it's Hyacinth that mentions Kate, or someone mentions Kate, like, hey, what about Kate? Is she gonna live? Is she gonna live with us too? And Eloise is like, yeah, that'd be great. This is where Benedict's overcounting joke comes in when there'd be more than one intelligent woman in the house, which Mama Bridgerton and Hyacinth are in the room. Never mind Francesca, wherever she is out here, just roaming. She was in episode one and we just haven't seen her again, so I have no idea what's happening with Francesca, but whatever. Like, yeah, there are other women in this room, Eloise, come on. Um, and then, you know, the 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 mere mention of Kate's name sends Anthony into a full like brain meltdown which was very very funny on the out of the scene though Eloise says like hey mom I can't work with wedding prep I am going flower arranging with Penelope which should be the giantest of giant red flags Benedict is onto her and of course he ain't no snitch so he's like since when have you cared about flower painting and Eloise does have a good line uh, something like i'm an open-minded woman i can care about many things like hell yeah eloise you can care about many things i just don't believe that flower arranging is one of them but she's going flower arranging and no one else in the scene questions that either which is shocking like, someone should be like wait a second are you are you really going flower arranging but all right eloise gets away with it in this one Edwina is over at the Modiste having a wonderful time getting fitted for her wedding dress, which looks just gorgeous, uh, of course. With the costumes in this show, of course, the wedding dress was going to look great. And, you know, she's she's being shown some French stuff. I don't know, a, the French tool or whatever <laughs> whatever the, the Modiste says. What, what I like about this scene is I, I just enjoy seeing Edwina excited to be married in this kind of weird world of Bridgerton. It's just nice to see people who are excited for their weddings and their kind of nuptials and everything. And I Edwina, it's just like, have I told you, Didi, that we're getting married by the Archbishop himself? And that's just, you know, Kate says yes many times. It's like, oh, just heart melts. And so I, I, I know something's going to have to ruin this. But for right now, I'm just going to live with Edwina in this moment. I'm just so happy that, that she's happy. She's excited about the snow, too. Like, oh, there's going to be snow in the winter. And then you can come yeah, go back to India. But you're going to visit lots. And then you're going to be their kid's favorite aunt. I know... <laughs> I know that uh, Anthony has a hundred siblings, and but you're going to be their favorite. Just so cute, so adorable. Love this very, very much. Penelope is also at the Modiste, and she. This is a wild place. I think what, what I what I've seen here is a bunch of people in the Modiste because I think this is the scene too where Prudence can't have the 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 linen or whatever the silk the silks and she has to have cotton instead which was just a little like a little one-liner that kind of shows that maybe she is right that she's having trouble scraping together sixpence or whatever um but Penelope's out here just talking openly about her Lady Whistledown stuff to the Modiste in a room full of people now I get that they're whispering and no one's overhearing them but this is we've gone from Penelope being super secretive to her kind of doing it out in the open. And I kind of vibe with that a little bit. I kind of like these plot lines where people are conducting their schemes out in the open, where people don't expect to find them. That's such a fun kind of subversion of you think they're going to do this in hiding, you think they're behind the scenes or whatever, when really they've been doing it in front of your face the whole time. That's my favorite kind of kind of sleuthing plot line in any, any book that has a sleuthing plot line or any show. And so I, I enjoy that she's kind of doing this more out in the open. However, it was weird to me that in a room full of other people that she's doing this. I guess this is the only time she can talk to the modiste, or the only time, considering she doesn't get new dresses or whatever, that she would have an excuse to be at the modiste. I'm not really sure, but I, 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 did, I didn't not like her doing this whistle-down stuff out in the open. 
We move over to Danbury House, where we're here for a ring fitting, everyone. It's just very simple. We're going to walk in with the ring. We're going to give it to Edwina. He's going to size it real quick. We're going to have a little bit of lemon cake, and we're going to skedaddle, and there's not going to be any issues, and Kate's not even going to be involved. So we walk into the house to do this, and then from Kate's perspective, we enter the room, and Anthony is standing there, which again, just we're going to about to get into brain meltdown phase all over again. And Mr. Brooks is there, and he's the jeweler, and he's a little bit of a bumbling fool who really likes wedding cake. When Anthony finds out that Edwina's not there, he tries to dip. He's like, ah, we should not bother you any longer, and tries to leave. And <laughs> the jeweler's like, is that cake? Is that lemon cake? I do love lemon cake, and kind of waits for the prompt to be allowed to have cake. I, I like this little bit of manners here, where he has to wait to be offered refreshment. But the second he is, he's like, oh, I'll have tea with three sugars, like eight slices of cake, 47 sandwiches, and he has his order ready to go, which I found truly funny for these little side characters. We have Mr. Brooks. We had the maid from last episode. These little funny side characters I find are awesome. So Mr. Brooks is staying. He's got to have his cake or whatever. And Anthony and Cater stood on opposite sides of the room. And <laughs> like this is a bad Uber ride, Anthony goes, how's the weather? It's It's been crazy, the weather we're having. London, am I right? It rains, then it's sunny again, and then every once in a while, there's thunder and lightning. Remember that storm in the library stuff? That was wild. And he's trying to talk about the, the weather. Kate is like, wait a second. Wait, you want to talk to me about the weather and stomps across the room? Because, of course, they can't. They can't just, like, not talk to each other for five minutes. Every time they're in a room together, they have to be almost kissing. It's one of the rules of Bridgerton. So they go over and talk to each other. Uh, Kate's like, after everything that passed between us, you want to talk to me about the weather? Anthony, with the wild retort, nothing passed between us. I am a gentleman. Now, I posted on Twitter the other day, like, a drinking game of Bridgerton where every time Anthony says, I am a gentleman, but then proceeds to do, like, some kind of sexy, ungentlemanly thing, you have to take a drink. And I think I think someone, it was, uh, somebody in our Facebook group commented that you would die and I agree with that, because this is... He keeps saying he's a gentleman, but I don't know how much of a gentleman. It's a sliding scale. It's not one or the other, but I'm not sure where on that spectrum he lands on being a, a gentleman. I feel like Kate kind of discloses her feelings here. Like, she's like, hey, you know, after what passed, she's acknowledging what passed between them, which is a start. She says, if anyone but Daphne found us we would have to be married and anthony says like yes let's be glad we uh, avoided such an unthinkable fate which uh, pfft, like uh, uh, yeah unthinkable as if you both haven't been thinking about that fate every moment of every day for weeks like come on unthinkable fate who do you think we are anthony we're we're smarter than that but i liked this scene because i i've I've always enjoyed the walls coming down between Anthony and Kate. There was the laughing in the mud a little bit. There was the library scene where she finds out about, you know, Papa Bridgerton dying from the bee sting. But this is the walls kind of coming down in a different way where they're they're kind of just acknowledging a, a realistic situation to each other. Like, hey, there was a world, just pointed out, in an alternate universe, you know, if we could time travel and we went back a week ago, there's a world in which someone walks in and we have to get married. And acknowledging that is some, something. It's a thing that happened that I liked. Before we can keep talking about this unthinkable fate and how that might have played out, Mr. B Mr. Brooks, from four paces away, says, Ah, I can judge a hand from 20 paces. Do you and Edwina share the same gloves? Which, 
is hilarious because she's not 20 paces away, but also you can just ask the question. And I'm assuming if the answer is yes, it doesn't matter how many paces you are away. If she's a hundred, like the, the, the key point here is not how far away she is. It's whether they share the same gloves. So you can just say, hey, Kate, do you share the same gloves as Edwina? And she goes, yes. And then I think that's what triggers the the your fingers are the same size thing. I don't think paces has anything to do with it. I think it's just a question you can ask. I don't know. Mr. Brooks is hilarious. But I was getting kind of confused as the logic is like, why why how far away she was was important. Because you can just ask, do you share the same gloves? Like that would have made, assuming they're like, um, what's the word? What's the word? Bespoke. Assuming they're like bespoke gloves and they've been made specifically for you. Of course that makes sense, but you know, you can do that at four paces or 47 paces. I don't know. <laughs> just, just a funny little bit of, of me overthinking this show. He then takes the ring, but to be, to the credit of Anthony and Kate, they both pretend to not want to do this for 10 seconds before doing it. And then the, the ring goes on Kate's finger. And then this man dips out of the frame. <laughs> like, how does this resizing work? So he puts the ring on Kate's finger. It doesn't quite fit because it, it's a little bit hard to get on. And then we see later it's hard to take off, which is also very funny. But then he doesn't do any measurements or anything. He doesn't take any notes. He doesn't bring out like what like what is he measuring? He just exits the frame so that we can have that that visual of Kate holding or Anthony holding Kate's hand with the ring which again is very sexy the way they do this is awesome but i just was confused like mr brooks is confusing me like what did the what did the paces have to do with anything what exactly is he measuring here uh, the ring doesn't quite fit that's cool but how is he like what what measurements is he taking to know how much to make the ring bigger i don't know also it's crazy like just the way the actresses are i don't think kate and edwina like the real life people would have the same size fingers i think they're like, what was Kate? Five inches taller than Edwina? Like, quite a bit taller than Edwina. And I know taller wouldn't equate directly to how big your, like, how um, uh, big your fingers would be when, when it comes to ring sizing. But it also isn't not a thing either. So I think it's a little bit unbelievable that they have the exact same ring size as well but this whole thing was just funny and we do it for the shot of the hands and the ring and everything which was worth it it was worth everything this is the kind of suspension of disbelief i can, I can kind of roll with here edwina comes back into the, the the room and lady mary's there and we get this hilarious moment of kate trying to take off the ring which is very funny and everyone leaves her in silence to do it so it's kind of awkward anthony immediately without even doing anything goes uh, mr brooks insisted as if he as if he couldn't say no to this as if there was no way that anthony could you know with his role as the viscount it'd be like yeah we're gonna wait for edwina that wasn't an option he must it's a rule in ring sizing that once Mr. Brooks says something, you have to do it. There's no way out of this. They get the ring off, though. It gets to Edwina. All yours, Kate says, which is also very funny. Lady Danbury enters the room, and dun-dun-dun, the Sheffields are here. The red flags going up everywhere. Alarms are going off. I really like the Sheffield arc in this episode. I thought it was a perfect kind of one-episode arc, assuming they don't come back again later. But we get a little bit of warning. The Sheffields are here. Uh, Lady Mary is being asked, is, it, is this going to be a problem for you? Because she, of course, is their daughter and left on unfavorable, uh, unfavorable terms and everything. And she, she goes, oh, yes. I suddenly feel a headache coming on, though, which fair enough. And I, I believe her. I believe that this would cause an immense migraine. 
for sure. But yeah, this dinner is going to go wonderfully. Uh, Kate tries to get out of the promenade by being like, hey, I got a headache too. And Lady Danbury's like, you will accompany me, which was, again, the you, kind of you shall catch a chill vibes. And we know what that means is, hey, you fuckhead, you are, you put on the ring, you're flirting with Anthony, I know what you feel, this is too late, and we're going for a promenade to sort this shit out before the Sheffields come for dinner, and I, well, I like Lady Danbury's lines reading, line reading, because she's milking every line, she's enjoying every minute she's on screen, but also, you could read between the lines, you knew what she was talking about. It is now time for that promenade from the last scene, and we start with Kate and Lady Danbury, and they are having a chat, and Lady or Kate's like, hey, I can't believe you invited the Sheffields over for dinner. Like, why did you invite them into town? You know the pain that caused my mother and everything. Lady Danbury says something which I find very interesting. I will not answer their impoliteness with my own, which I feel like would be very true to this society. Like, this society is all about gossip, it's about manners, it's about standing, it's about... So, like, social standing is a huge deal for these people. That's all they do in the summer is just, like, one-up each other socially. It's all a big kind of gossip game to them. And so, uh, yeah, you wouldn't want to uh, be routinely impolite to people, even if they deserved it, because that would be a, a knock on your own kind of social standing and manners, which I just find a really interesting societal thing that tracks for me really well. Uh, there, <laughs> Lady Danbury's talking about the Sheffields coming and says that they might find out that you contrived the match for your own concealed ends, which, to be fair to Kate, is what everyone else is doing. All of these people are marrying for money or dowries or land. We learn later about the 12,000 acres or whatever. That is what everyone else is doing. I, I don't know why this is specifically surprising. However, to not Kate's credit, she had a whole sequence in episode two where she was like mad at Anthony for bringing Mr. Dorset around to the races and was mad like, I can't believe you're playing all these games with me. And yet, even, even to be fair, she may have told Edwina, she has not told Anthony about this. So I find it a little rich that Kate has a few moments in this season where she's like worried about people playing games on her when she's kind of concealing from Anthony something that, well, is kind of obvious and is what everyone else is doing. It's still a little bit of subterfuge, a little bit of a lie, a little bit of a uh, uh, an untruth, right? And so I find this kind of I find this dynamic really interesting where I'm trying to root for Kate here and be like, okay, what 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 Kate's lying about is literally just what everyone else is doing. So it's not that bad. But also, Kate seems very specifically not pleased when she is at the end of someone else's kind of subterfuge. For her to have her own, that is definitely worse. I find just a really fascinating little bit of information, especially because she's not going to tell Anthony about it. She may be trying to tell Edwina, which is fair, but not Anthony, which I find interesting. Lady Danbury is now trying to bring Kate back down to earth a little bit, pretty much saying like, hey, I know how you feel about the Viscount. I get it. I know you secretly don't want this marriage to, to go on. And then Kate like defends like, why would I want that? Like, I would, I, of course I want this marriage to happen. And I was like, okay, Kate, you just told Anthony 10 seconds ago that he was foolish to go through with the marriage because of everything that passed between you in the last scene. So uh, try lying a little better next time, Kate. I think Lady Danbury is reading right through you but what lady danbury's saying is making a lot of sense like look kate 
I get how you feel. It's not how you want this to go. But he made a charming proposal. Edwina gave her giddy acceptance to everyone, society, the queen, all of it. They're as good as married. It would only take like a great scandal to whatever. And I'm just like, okay, this is Chekhov's great scandal. Everybody listening to this podcast, we have Chekhov's great scandal. At some point, something is going to happen for this to go wrong. But for right now, they're going to be wed, Kate. Only a fool would try and mess with it. Now, are you that fool? And Kate says no, but with a face of, yeah, I'm that fucking fool, Lady Danbury. I will fucking fool this thing up as best as I can. But she has that face of like, yeah, I'm the fool, but if you insist that I'm not, I won't be. And her Simone Ashley's facial acting there was hilarious because I got super, yeah, I'm that fool, Lady Danbury. Don't you mess with me vibes from her face, which just awesome. Just awesome stuff. I like all of this stuff. This show is excellent. If you're, if you are, if you're listening to this podcast, then you obviously like this show. However, there's a lot of people in my life that don't like this show and think it's very funny that I podcast about it. They are missing out because this show is fantastic. I just like all of this stuff. Here to break the tension, though, to, to give Kate a reprieve from Lady Danbury's, you know, lecturing about the, the giddy acceptance of Edwina and how, how much of a fool she's so close to being. Mr. Dorset's back. I, I like this guy. He's a doctor. He wants to study me medicine. He has a very underrated kind of sexy line where he's like, I will throw myself at your mercy. Like, yeah, you will. Throw yourself at mercies. Hell yeah, brother. Go get it. Just so good. Uh, Anthony sees them together. Well, he's on a promenade with his fiance and his mother and like, sees them uh, together. Kate has this fun moment first, though, where she's like, I am really tired. And Lady Danbury's like, she is going on the boat ride with you. <laughs> like, Kate's, I find it so good because Kate's 26 years old. And I just like in, like, it's just so funny to me that she can't, can't even get out of a boat ride she doesn't want to go on. But whatever. She's going to go hang out with Mr. Dorset. They lock arms, which sends Anthony all the way back to horny jail. Like, just absolute brain meltdown. The, the the hand grab, they're laughing at each other's jokes. Then the audio cuts out. Oh my goodness, we're just in, we're just in horny prison, just in his head. Oh, the, 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 the brain meltdowns never end for these two. It's just, it's such a fun bit of the show for me that every time they see each other or look at each other or even hear each other's name, they're rattling teacups or not listening to the audio around them. And they're like, oh, so good. Uh, Prudent, <laughs> Prudence is talking about, uh, or she's in the boat, and Lord Featherington looks miserable, kind of, you know, paddling this boat around this lake, which looks lovely, by the way. If, if, like, if I was ever going on a date, and someone's like, yeah, we're gonna go, and we're just gonna paddle this little boat around this lake and chat, I'd be like, this is pleasant, this is lovely. Can we, we can bring a picnic basket, we can bring some cider, we can hang out, like, oh, so good. I would love that. I would love this. But Prudence is hanging out the little window thing. Hey, look at me. I am Prudence. I am engaged. Look at me and my fiance on a boat. It's just she just has no clue what's going on at all times, which is just an ongoing hilarious bit. Colin and Penn here have a little bit of a chat, which I oh I'm rooting for Colin and Penn. The one of the one of my friends in real life who watched the show uh, has is really low on Penn, and to their credit, they've watched the rest of the season, so maybe Penelope uh, still has a couple of episodes to mess things up. But I'm rooting for her and Colin, man. I like them. I like her for Colin. I like Colin for her. They're just very very cute, and you know she is. She's flirty in a way that's realistic. You know, so much of the show is that suspension of disbelief, all of the, you know, the the ring situations and the later the falling in the lake situation and all that. Like, 
that's all just like fun for us to watch but penelope's the one and eloise a little bit in this episode that just has like actual kind of flirting in the way that it works in real life where colin's you know like hey benedict's doing this anthony's doing that and you know i everyone's leaving their mark on this world maybe i should introduce myself to the mine guy mr featherington maybe that'll be my jam um but here i am feeding the ducks and penelope's like you know the ducks are probably pretty grateful it's like oh that's just fucking cute penelope like that is just adorable so i i'm i'm rooting for penelope and colin here more for penelope less for colin but they're they're cute i like them there is somebody who is not at this promenade though and that is eloise bridgerton because she's at what i'm calling a radical idea hall i don't know some some hall of sorts in the in the you know gloomsbury part of town am i right like this shitty cornwall-esque part of town i don't know i, I had someone ask in the facebook group if I, if I had ever been to cornwall i have not been to cornwall i'm only dunking on it because the show dunks on it and i'm just playing along i bet you Cornwall's lovely uh, everywhere i visited in the uk was absolutely gorgeous i did not make it down to, to cornwall at all which actually sucks it's quite a big bit of land i spent most of my time up in like the bristol area up by some Somerset, I think it's called, where the rolling hills are. Um, so the last time I was in the UK, that's where I spent most of my time. But yeah, I'm sure it's lovely. Just if you're from Cornwall, I'm sorry. The show, I just, the show made a joke about it. And so I'm going to continue the joke. But just know that I really think that you're lovely. But yeah, this fucking Cornwall side of town where Eloise is, there's a radical idea hall there. And I like this for Eloise. She's, you know, she, she has these thoughts. She doesn't like the promenade. She doesn't like the dresses. She doesn't like the dancing. So she's going to go do something about it. She's going to go... She's going to find Theo Sharp, who's writing these papers. Uh, she already knows about him, which is fun. Uh, at this hall, they're talking about, like, women's rights to education. You're like, yeah, go, Eloise. Uh, Theo Sharp is like, you've come a long way from your side of town. <laughs> Eloise has this awesome joke. You see, Theo, there's this thing called a carriage. It's rather magnificent. It can convey a lady from one side of town to the other, which on one hand is a very funny joke. On the other hand, it's like, you know, Theo can't afford a carriage. Like, Eloise, like, you know, these people can't afford carriages. Like, that's, they, it's not that they don't understand. It's that they can't afford one. Like, come on, Eloise. Like, just be a little, it's a fun joke, but I just worry that Eloise is going to go a little overboard here by not quite understanding that these people are probably not very wealthy and not able to buy carriages. But Eloise has some cool flirty moments with Theo and she's talking about arguments in his papers and she needs to talk to him and like, hey, do you have a pencil? Just kidding, you can borrow mine, which is hilariously flirty. And now I'm rooting for Theo and Eloise and I posted in the Facebook group that I am over Sienna. I'm full on the kid and Anthony train by Sienna. Now, one day I'll make t-shirts for this podcast, and the first one will just be by Sienna. Uh, but for now, Theo is the new Sienna, and if Eloise ends up with anyone but Theo, I will be very mad, and Eloise must end up with Theo, and now Theo is the new Sienna. So that that is the problem with this scene, is now I am rooting for Theo and Eloise, which someone in, okay, someone in Bridgerton has to marry like someone, one of the common people, one of the working class. Now, if they all end up with like actual like proper spouses for the time or whatever that's gonna be so boring i bet like, someone's gotta end up with somebody that's you know on the outs in low society from the working class like somebody like that so i'm rooting for eloise and theo here back at the promenade dorset and kate are on their little boat thing and if i didn't know that dorset or that kate and anthony are a thing then you know i would i would vibe with this this is really quite cute 
Mr. Mondridge is also here, and he, he doesn't understand why they need to network, and his wife's be like, you dumbass, our club is empty, no one's coming here, we need to find all these rich, wealthy people and talk them into our club, like, go talk to them, tell them about our club, we're gonna, like, yeah, word of mouth is important, by the way, tell somebody you know about this podcast, and then it spreads, and that's awesome, and then more people listen to it, and everybody wins, right, that's how things spread, word of mouth, that's, like, you gotta go to the networking event with all the wealthy people who are gonna come to your club and buy your drinks, and you need to talk to them because even if you are a, a, a club of the the working class, the the common man, like the common man doesn't have enough money to be splurging on expensive alcohol at your club, so you got to find the rich people. I just I enjoyed that Will's wife here has a huge understanding of how important word of mouth and network. It's who you know. It's who you know in 2022. It's like that in 1815 or whatever as well. And so that needs to happen. Miss Miss Featherington and Mister Feathering have a, a kind of a a tete tete about. Uh, their funding or whatever and you know mr featherington is in he's into boxing he likes mr mondridge he's like hey yeah you're a boxer you got a club i'll spend some money at your club miss featherington is like hey idiot you don't have enough money to spend at their club we need to try and find a way out of this mess and he's like wait you just went to the modiste and ran up more bills there that we can't pay like what are you what are you doing? Which is also funny because Miss Featherington had that scene two episodes ago where she's like, I pay you to do the dresses how I see fit. More chest, please. Like, okay, you don't... She still doesn't pay for any of this. But uh, again, I'm with Mr. Featherington here. Like, hey, you got us into this mess. I had a plan. I'm gonna go buy my brandy from the club and you need to stop going to the modiste, right? Like, you're not helping. You're making things worse. And I, I am with, uh, I'm with Mr. Featherington here still. Back on the boat with Kate and Mr. Dorset, they are, they're quite cute. This is Edwina earlier when she said, aren't they a handsome couple? You know, she's right. They are a handsome couple. I would root for these two if Anthony wasn't a thing in this in this show. They're talking about the different places. He's like, hey, I, I want to try. I, I, most people, you know, dunk on India. I liked India. I found it to be very tranquil. And you know what? You're going back to India. I might come to India. There's a lot to learn in their medical practice. And you're pretty cute. And I like you a lot was the thing he didn't say. But hey, go to India. Learn from their medical practice. I like that for you. And they're talking about the amusements London has to offer. And she says, there is water too in India, which is just so funny. Uh, they, they get to the little dock area here, and it, 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 there's a bunch of funny things that happen here. Edwina is talking about trying to keep her sister in London. Mr. Dorset is like, I might join you in that endeavor. Again, super cute. I, I, man, this show does such a good job, because I need to root for all of these separate relationships in an alternate universe, and I really do. I like Anthony and Edwina together in an AU of the show. I like Kate and Mr. Dorset together in an AU of the show. So they're, they're really vibing, with very little screen time for Mr. Dorset, I might add. Very efficient writing here from abby mcdonald which will give her just enough credit for me not to be actually angry when she interrupts kate later but that's okay uh anthony nautical expert anthony is just a fucking twit in this scene oh my goodness mr dorset's tying up the boat and anthony's like that knot will not do it's okay come first off what what like i so i for my job i tie up boats all the time boats are a big part of my job i tie them up all the time First off, that knot was perfectly adequate, like 100% adequate for a few reasons. One, you could tie that boat up with any knot. It doesn't matter. There are some knots that are better than others. There are some boats you need to tie up certain ways, whether you're using, like you're tying it to the frame of the dock, whether you have the cleats, whether there's, whether you want the boat to sit a couple of inches so the wind and the tide and everything don't, and the current don't bang it against the dock. There's different boats you tie up different ways with different knots. 
right? But in this case, it's a small little boat on a non-windy day. This is not a windy day tied to a dock where there's no there's no movement on the water. It's perfectly calm, right? In a boat where people are going to be getting back into it in 10 seconds. So what you want to do is just tie literally the easiest to undo knot possible so that the next people are going in aren't fiddling with your knot. This actually, like, as someone who just ties up boats all the time, this it bugs me a lot because that knot was perfectly fine. And then Anthony comes in, and he's a nautical expert who's, like, uh, question your nautical skills, Mr. Doris. Like, okay, do you learn about nautical skills? Is that part of your duty, Anthony? Like, did you go to, you know, I'm the firstborn duty school and learn about nautical stuff? Like, how, like... Are we to believe now that all of these men learned how to be, you know, seafarers and stuff? Now, I do get that the at this time, the Admiralty of England was probably a really big deal. And he probably does actually know quite a bit about boats and whatever. But within the context of the show, like, okay, Anthony, you not expert. What a, like, it's just such a weird way for him to impress Kate. Who, like, who, like, is, like, it, mm. You don't need to impress Kate. She's already smitten for you. Whether she'll admit it or not, you've already impressed her enough. Just you existing is impressive enough at this point. You don't need to tie this knot, Anthony. It's just so so funny. Even funnier, though, is when he goes and Mr. Dorset extends his hand to Kate. Anthony moves into the situation and goes, pardon me. Mr. Dorset is, like, has to jog off somewhere. I don't even know where he goes, but he walks out of frame. And then... <laughs> He he goes to reach his hand out to Kate, and Kate takes it. Like what? Like what? Like why do you get to break this protocol, Anthony? Like surely it's protocol for the gentleman to like escort the woman out of the boat after this little date they just went on. And so Anthony grabs Kate's hand. He holds it for a little too long. It kind of looks like he is going to kiss her hand, which would be absolutely wild. But before that can happen, they kind of jerk away from each other. He falls over Newton and into the water, which Newton is an absolute champ. This whole thing was hilarious. But now Mr. Dorset and Anthony are in the water. Mr. Dorset is so excited about it, just so happy. He's like, yo, this water's great. It's so refreshing. This is hilarious. I love the, my day was going to be boring, but now I got to go on a little date with Kate, which is awesome. And I ended up in the water, which is also very funny. Anthony is very much less excited about this, but it leads to Edwina and Kate get like, they're like, competing for who could stare at Anthony's torso the the most. Edwina really kindly asks if they're hurt, which is quite nice. And then, you know, she has a little bit of a look at Anthony. I can't remember what the line was, but it says something to Kate about it. And Kate asks me, like, it's rude to stare, but then stares directly at him. And Edwina picks up on this too, which, again, giant red flags should be going off for Edwina here. But Edwina kind of stops staring at Anthony and looks at Kate instead. But Kate is staring at Anthony. And she's like, wait a second, you hypocrite. You told me not to stare at him so many fun i like that they i like that both of them are like that's an attractive dude in a situation that is funny and i enjoyed it very much the next day at Bridgerton House, Penelope is there to say hi to Eloise. They walk on whatever did Thursday or whatever day this is. They go for walks all the time. Penelope is there, and Eloise can't go for a walk because of wedding errands, she says, but Penelope knows that's not the truth. And that must suck for Penelope. Like I get it. Eloise is growing and moving on and friendships change over time and everything. But, you know, Penn was Penn is part of the Featherington house who is not exactly kind of looked up to in high society nowadays. And she just wants to go for a walk with her friend and her friend won't go with her. And that mm, that kind of sucks. 
But Penelope's onto something, and her little bit of, you know, trickery to find out where she was was hilarious. She goes to one of the maids and is like, hey, Eloise forgot something. I'm going to go pick it up for her. Where was she yesterday? And the maid's like, I swear, Penelope, I told her not to go to this godforsaken Bloomsbury, or as I'm calling it, Cornwall, for this episode. And then Penelope's like, ah... I know Bloomsbury well because that's where the whistledown papers get printed. So I've been there a few times. And so she she understands what's going on. And unfortunately, I just feel a little bit bad for her. I just feel a little bit bad for Penelope here. She doesn't have a lot of friends. Eloise is the one person who really kind of gets her and likes her and wants to be friendly with her. And now they she's not going for a walk. And that sucks. Miss Featherington, at the same time, is trying to get Cake Man, Mr. Brooks' back, to inspect some fake jewels, and she knows that they're fake, and this is part of the plan. If they can fool him, they can fool everyone else. He's the jeweler. So the plan is, fool him with the fake jewels, have him say they're worth a lot, and then try and sell them to everyone else on the ton, or at least get them to invest in the mines where they think that these jewels came from. Mr. Featherington, who's not really in on this game plan, is freaking out like, hey, can you come back tomorrow? This is not a good time. He's like looking back and forth. He has to go like pour a bottle of whiskey, which I don't really understand. I guess that the implication is that they're his rubies. But what I thought would happen is if he says they're fake, she just goes, oh, dear, that's really unfortunate. Good thing I didn't pay a lot for this. Like, I I don't know what the the... I don't know what the actual kind of stakes are in this scene. Like, is Mr. Burke's going to go tell everyone? I guess gossip. Like, he says to one person, yeah, it was weird. I was at the Featheringtons, and I inspected these fake diamonds. And then they're like, oh, are the rest are the fake rubies or whatever? I guess that's the stakes. But I was a little bit confused here. But Miss Featherington, instead of doing the easy thing and, like, canceling the wedding and just having him marry Lady Cowper, she's doing this whole roundabout way where they're going to trick the Ton into investing in the mines to take all the money when they think these jewels are real. And then they're going to take all the money and I'm not sure what they're going to do with it yet, but that's the plan. At least Miss Featherington is coming up with a plan. We're back at art school for one of my favorite scenes in this entire episode. It's the model from before, the, the nude model from earlier in the episode. She is now painting Interesting Twist, and she is not allowed to be in the lecture hall, so the way that she absorbs the lectures and gets taught is by being the model that everyone paints, which I think is very clever. In a stupid system where, when she says, like, the founders of this institution are women, it's like, wait a second, this wild then, but okay. In this dumb system where she's not allowed to be in the lecture hall as a student, she goes in as the model, and I think that's very clever. Uh, so she gets the lectures, and she she jokes with Benedict, like, you try being the model, it's harder than it looks, so he goes to sit down. She moves him into place and, like, puts arms in the right places, and the way she, like, cups his chin and moves his face towards her, I was like, oh, these two are going to fuck later. And they do! Which was awesome. You just tell in that face that there was a little bit of swooning later, or there's a little bit of swooning happening, and you just knew something was going to happen there. But then she says, you know what? No, 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 that's not good enough. I need to study the male form actually the naked male form she's kind of into it and benedict with i put an unhealthy confidence just takes his clothes off like like he was preparing this moment his whole life just like yep no worries clothes are coming off you can paint me as much as you want lady i just you know what good job for benny bridgerton i like this a lot he's hanging out he's having a good time his clothes are coming off cool awesome stuff fantastic Kate and Mama Sharma have a nice scene before the, the doomed dinner that's about to happen. I, I like that it's nice. I like that Kate is looking out for Mama Sharma here. She says, like, hey, just fake being sick. No one will 
no one will, you know, question you and no one will be mad at you, which I like. Like, look out for mom. Really good job, Kate. Mama Shimmer's like, no, Lady Danbury's made it quite clear that I need to attend. Um, Kate asks if she regrets her choice to kind of go off with her husband and leave and marry the Clark or whatever. And she says it was a choice between the family and the heart. And she says, like, do you ever regret that choice? And I'm like, okay, I wonder, a choice between the family and the heart. I wonder if Kate's in this situation with Edwina, where it's like the choice between Edwina and Anthony is the family and the choice between her heart and her her brain at this point is is uh is against edwina here so it's a little bit you know we're talking about mama sharma but we're also what we're really doing is talking about kate um but it was nice to see mama sharma in the fold being a parent talking to kate i i like this little bit of just the little chat before the dinner that's not the only parent son or parent kind of um child relationship kind of chat going on here before the dinner though mama bridgerton uh, goes into the room to talk to anthony i guess the study and anthony's like yeah, yeah yeah we won't be late and she's like look anthony i've tried to support your choice i want to be happy for you i want this marriage for you and all that but i can't stay silent anthony kind of really hilariously goes you have been anything but silent like kind of giving the cue like please be quiet i, I again um Kate is going to say later, spare me the lecture. This is what Anthony's kind of saying. Just spare me the lecture. I know what you're going to say. Like, go away. I, yep, whatever. And then Mama Bridgerton, man, I really don't like her in this scene. Parts of the things she's saying, I do enjoy. Like, hey, you choose, you can love somebody. Like, you don't have to marry someone and not love them. Like, that is fine. You right? Like, you, or sorry, you can choose to marry somebody and love them. That is a choice that you can make. You don't have to not love the person you're marrying. But then she goes for some of the low blows, like, like, hey, like, I've been watching you, and you seem like you're going towards the gallows more than a wedding, which is not true. Like, it's not... It's not love, maybe, but they certainly don't dislike each other. And like, Anthony is just upset that he likes Kate more than Edwina. I don't think he's actually like... I don't get the vibe that he's marching towards the gallows or whatever. And then she says, you know, what... Like, oh, man. She suggests... There's so much here. She suggests that, hey, if you want to get out of it, there's still time. Anthony's like, I will not dishonor Miss Edwina by going back on my word. I'm going to go through with this. She then goes through the cat the the catch here's the catch to this whole thing a man cannot take back his word because that's dishonorable but a woman can and actually this happens all the time so what we're learning here is that women in this world you know they in the in the in the throes of a proposal just say yes this happens in real life too in 2022 as well it's like those people that propose at like baseball games or whatever it's like okay you gotta be double sure that they're they want to marry you before you do something that public because that's a lot of pressure to put on someone to say yes if they want to say no it's kind of coercion in a way and that's that's what mama bridgerton is kind of talking about here like in the throes of getting the proposal you say yes but you don't really want the marriage so you can back out of it on the woman's side of things anthony is really kind of i i i thought kind of affronted by this like wait edwina does not want to call off this marriage do not suggest that i trick her in some way to calling this off because she doesn't want to one of the things Mama Bridgerton says that I actually think makes a little bit of sense is, does she know your true feelings? Like, if you told her that you like her sister, <laughs> like, if you tell her that, maybe she'll have different feelings, which is true. But also, Mama Bridgerton, just get out of here. Like, you, what you want, like, 
what is it you want? Do you want him to marry? Like, I get that you want him to marry and be in love and all of that stuff, but it's also not an option for everybody. That's not how it's going to work for all of your children. And then she suggests that he's being a bad example for his siblings, which is just, in my opinion, fundamentally untrue. I think, like, he's not being the best example, but he is being a good example of duty and honor and taking care of his family, and he's going to get married, and he's going to make sure the family is taken care of. Like, it might not be the best possible example, but it's certainly not a bad example. But where the low blow happens is when she says, like, what would your father think about this? Like, okay, like, like, don't, don't cosplay my dead dad to tell me how he's going to feel like shut like whatever like I hated that I hated that so much like that's such a that's such a low blow that's so unfair right like you may disagree for Anthony's reasons for doing the thing or you might agree with his reasons for doing it and just wish he wasn't doing it but to say that Anthony is just being a total prick here and is not being I don't know I don't know like I'm I obviously watching the show we're meant to watch Anthony and Kate to be together and we know that him and Edwina are doomed but I don't get the sense that this is I don't know I don't know I just didn't like what Mama Bridgerton was going on about here and the low blow with the dad thing was certainly unfair and I was not here for it um, but yeah Anthony stands his ground like I'm gonna do this it doesn't matter I don't care what you have to say I'm going through with it which you know what in this scene I was I was vibing with Anthony here it's time now for the Sharmas together to prep for the dinner. We have Edwina and Kate, and Edwina is again so excited to marry Anthony, and this is so nice to see. She's excited about meeting the Sheffields, right? She says, like, you know, Anthony is to be my husband, and the way she says that is just, oh, just heart melts. And this is where this is where the actress who plays Edwina did it absolutely incredible here. These little bits of nuance were awesome. Uh, Lady Danbury comes in to say that uh, the Sheffields are here, but of course that has to interrupt Kate. Kate says, hey, I need to tell you something about the Sheffields and some of the ways they've been influencing our trip to London. And then Lady Danbury walks in and says like, hey, I have to, you know, the Sheffields are here. We have to go. And Edwina just leaves, which is fair enough. She's excited to meet them. But Kate just does not go, hey, actually, Edwina, wait one second. This is actually really important. And also... Kate or and Lady Danbury has been wanting Kate to tell Edwina. So it's even weirder to me that Kate doesn't say anything because Lady Danbury also wants them to know, or at least the sense I got from episode one or whatever, was that Lady Danbury was of the opinion that Edwina should know the truth. So I don't know what's going on here. This is just lazy writing for me. You can't keep interrupting Kate and then make it a plot point that Kate wasn't willing to tell anybody about this little bit of trickery with the dowry because she was willing to tell Edwina she tried two different times and both times she was interrupted and this is just not this is just lazy because also it implies that at no point in the intervening weeks had Kate had five minutes alone to tell Edwina anything that she only waits till the last possible second to tell I don't know this whole thing I just I it's lazy writing not a fan not not the best not the best little bit of writing to keep interrupting Kate. Edwina's already gone when Kate tries to leave the room, though. <laughs> Lady Danbury stops her. And Kate has the, you can spare me the lecture. I will be on my best behavior. I won't even look at Anthony. I won't even, I'm going to put those glasses on that block my peripheral vision. My eyes will be on my plate and the person talking. And if the person talking is Anthony, I will just eat. Those are the moments when I will eat Lady Danbury. I don't need the lecture. She says, you think me an unfeeling harridan, which I don't, I gotta Google the word harridan right now. What does a harridan mean? That's a fun word. Uh, harridan, a strict, bossy, or belligerent old woman. 
<laughs> That's a fun word. I like the word heritin. That's the word of the day. Try and use heritin in your everyday life now. She says, hey, I actually invited these people for you, which now is interesting. Hey, the Sheffields are here. You're not getting what you want with the Viscount, but I can give you something else. The Sheffields are here. They are going to give the big dowry to Edwina, which is going to give you access to their fortune, which some people would say is the better prize than the Viscount. Now, I'm not sure Kate agrees with that, but Lady Danbury trying to throw the bone here. It turns out this plan is an awful plan, but hey, you told me earlier in the season you wanted your independence. You wanted to not marry. You asked me, you know, I've lived a life and all that. You want to be on your own. Well, this is one of the ways to do that. You're going to have tons of cash. After passion cools and fate inter intervenes, you're going to be rich as fuck, Kate. So just be on your best behavior. You're going to get access to the money once these people are married. And we just got to put up the Sheffields with like a month. We got to put up with them for like a month. Once everyone's married, the dowry's been through, though. There's no taxi backsies on the dowry. You're going to have access to the money. And then you'll be independent in India doing your own thing. And all of your problems will be solved, which is a nice gesture from Lady Danbury, if, even if it turns out to be a terrible idea. I do like the idea that this whole bit of uh, inviting the Sheffields over was for Kate, so Kate could have access to some of the money as well, which I think is an interesting little play from Lady Danbury. We move over to the next room to actually meet the Sheffields, and they're, the, the, the actor and actress who play the Sheffields do a very good job here of being super high on Edwina, like, oh, that's my granddaughter, oh, she's great, oh, we must know, do you dance, do you sing, you must accompany us to the opera, and then the way they talk about Mary and Kate, they're just so cold to them, which, again, is really rude, but it makes sense for their character, and the, the character acting here from those two is absolutely perfect, but it's also really sad, like, Lady Mary obviously went through a lot of trauma here, Kate feels very out of place, I don't, I don't really understand why they have to be at this dinner. Like, surely this would just go a million times better if you just invited Edwina to the dinner. I guess it's, you know, answering the impoliteness with your own impoliteness. But would it really be that impolite to avoid all of these problems? Just, you know, you're there for the bag. No one likes the Sheffields. Lady Danbury is setting this up to get the money. Surely the better plan was to not have Mary and, and Kate show up. But that's fine. They're here now. And the way the Sheffields act towards them is, is very, very sad. At the dinner table, loads of stuff happens. Holy moly. Uh, they talk about hunting. And then Edwina uh, says, or sorry, they talk about hunting and that Mr. Sheffield is inviting Anthony over to his grounds, which are not as nice as Aubrey Hall, uh, to go hunting because they have a nice bird selection or whatever. Anthony's like, yeah, that's cool. I like hunting. Edwina says, yeah, him and Kate almost bagged a stag in the last hunt, which is one way of explaining how that hunt went. I'm not sure bagged a stag is how I almost bagged a stag. I don't think... I don't think that, you know, gaggle of idiots it was within 10 miles of a stag, if I'm being honest. But I also think Anthony and Kate specifically had a little more going on in that situation. But that's fine. Edwina doesn't know the truth of it or anything. Uh, and then that that's the trigger where the Sheffields are like, oh, do you? Or Lady Sheffield's like, oh, do they teach girls in India to hunt, Kate? And kind of like a, you know, a little bit of derision there. Uh, Kate responds with only the lucky ones, which with ju which just sends her. Lady Sheffield just, she has her own brain meltdown here where she just can't not be rude. And so she starts going off about Lady Mary. You know, we, you know, our daughter sucks. She didn't take this marriage. She went off and married this Clark. You know, this guy had 12,000 acres and yada this and yada that. 
And these people are so fucking rude, and it's hard to watch, and it really sucks for Kate and, and Mary. But what I do like about this scene is that that's kind of how life goes. So we all have these things, not to this degree, and we're not all this rude about it, but everyone has that thing that somebody did something to them or someone messed up something or whatever, and you can't ever quite let go of it. You can try, but you can't quite forgive the person or let it go or anything. And I, what I liked here is they were... They're playing it to a heightened degree, but it's a real human thing to like someone just did something one time and it just it's different when it's your child, I guess. But like they just did that thing. And no matter how much you try and get over it, you just can't help yourself by like rubbing in or pouring the salt or just putting a little more salt in the wound or just bringing it up when you know you shouldn't. And that happens for all of us. You know, from time to time, not to this level and not to this, certainly not to this level of rudeness, um, but I do enjoy that they're at least playing into like the human aspect of how that works. I actually enjoyed Mr. Sheffield's approach to this a little bit. It's kind of how we all do Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, I think it's a little bit different in America than Canada, but mostly Thanksgiving dinner is like, there's a lot of thanks and giving and all of that stuff, but you know, your whole family's getting together. There's a lot of political arguments and stuff, especially in America, because your elections are kind of set in November, uh, whereas ours can be any time of the year. And so, you know, every two years you have the midterms or your presidential election or whatever, and there's a lot of political talk at the Thanksgiving dinner. And I like Mr. Sheffield's approach. I don't agree with Mr. Sheffield. I think he's an asshole, but his approach like, hey, I agree with everything my wife is saying, but this is not dinner conversation. That's not what we're here for. We're here to celebrate. We're here to say hi. We're here to meet our granddaughter. I don't like Mary. I don't like Kate. I'm not going to talk to him, but I'm not going to be actively antagonistic either. That's, that's how the Thanksgiving dinner approach kind of works, I think. And that's how you all get through the dinner. Miss Sheffield, though, is not on that. And she just keeps going in and keeps going in and keeps going in. Lady Mary comes off the top rope with a defense of their daughters, you know, sit down, sit down, Miss Sheffield. The best thing I ever did was take my daughters away from your scorn, your condescension, your, you know, your rules that you should chase wealth and titles above all else. I took my daughters away from that. And it's the best thing I ever did. Oh, so good. So good here. Lady Sheffield kind of responds with the, oh, like, or she says, oh, but you still come crawling back for our money. And Miss Mary's like, wait, no, I don't want anything from you. I don't, I don't want a single dime of your money, mom. But, oh, here's where things get spicy. She is also left out in the cold on Kate's little plan and why they're out here, which is maybe slightly unbelievable to me, but makes sense, I suppose, if Kate was running the affairs. Because then Lady Sheffield goes, no, you don't want anything, of course, but your daughter does and, like, looks at Edwina. And Edwina's like, wait, no, I don't. I just, I just, I'm just here hanging out, having a good time. I don't want anything. Like, what are you talking about? And then she says, the trust fund we had set up for you, where you had, and the, I quote, had to marry someone of good English breeding. Like, what the f is that? What is, like, that's a terrible way to describe anything is good blank. Good. If you're ever saying the sentence, good blank breeding, just not, mm -mm. it's probably, it's probably not a thing you should be saying or thinking. That is not ideal. Anyways, though, uh, this confuses everyone. Anthony has this look like, oh, fuck, I understand what's going on here now. He clues in right away. Mama Bridgerton interrupts for 10 seconds to say, Anthony, did you know about this? And he does that little head shake like, no, I did not. To Kate's credit, again, this is what everyone is doing, though. You know, at the in the first episode when Miss Bridgerton was like, this is the year the Viscount intends to find a wife. All those women came up to him 
for the the money and the status of being the Viscountess. Like that's not like that's what everyone else is doing. So to Kate's credit, her big piece of subterfuge is just is just the default what everyone else is doing. But I suppose there's the added step of they're getting their dowry from somebody else. They're not providing it themselves. But anyways, that's just semantics at this point. But everyone at the table, except for Lady Danbury and Kate, are finding out about the dowry now, the trust fund. Uh-oh, this isn't good. So she keeps on going in to Mary and Kate and all that. And then Anthony stands up after. This is even more impressive because it's after he finds out he's on the wrong end of a little scheme here for a dowry. He stands up and he defends the Sharmas in the best way possible. Before that happens, though, I just want to say... I feel bad again for Kate. She tried to tell Edwina. The writers hate her and didn't want her to tell Edwina. I would have just been more believable if she just didn't even try. Like, that would have been more believable to me, but whatever. Here we are. Edwina didn't find this out. Uh, but Anthony stands up with the defense. And I put, is he actually a gentleman? Question mark, question mark, question mark. Because, oh boy, he goes in. He's like, I can only assume your exile from society was more for your de deficient manners than for any other sin, which has to be like the 18, the 1800s version of just the sickest burn ever, right? Like that's the dis the diss track of the ages by Anthony Bridgerton over here. He says like, hey, you're not invited to the wedding. You're a bunch of assholes. Get the fuck out of here. And I don't even know, is he allowed to just kick people out? I don't think this is his dinner, right? Like, this is Lady Danbury's dinner. Like, is he allowed to just kick people off out on behalf of Lady Danbury? I don't really know, but he's doing it. He's standing up and he defends the Sharmas. Like, Mary has, they are kind, loyal, passionate women or whatever he says. Uh, Lady Mary has done admirably in raising both of her daughters. And y'all are a bunch of fucking assholes, so get the fuck out of here and sit down. Sit down in your carriage and get out of this house Sheffields. Mr. Sheffield says this is beyond the pale after being denied a wedding invitation. And then they leave. And then once they leave, though, things get even more interesting because... Uh, so they leave there, and then Edwina is kind. Of, Edwina has this look during the defense from Anthony, where he or she looks just so smitten. Anthony's up there; he's being handsome, he's defending her. Oh, how romantic! And it was. It was pretty hot. Not gonna lie. Um, but then Anthony gets up and he's leaving. He's out of here. We must also leave. And Edwina looks again. Great facial acting here um, from the actress who plays Edwina. Absolutely incredible. She looks absolutely just incredibly devastated. Just, mm, just very good facial acting. Anthony leaves. Edwina tries to have a word. I find this a little bit interesting. Edwina tries to have a word with him, but he leaves anyway. He's leaving. We must also take our leave. Him and Mama Bridgerton are, are, are exiting the room. Mama Bridgerton has this fun little, like, thanks for the dinner, Lady Danbury. It was very illuminating or enlightening and whatnot. And it's fun to see Lady Danbury kind of off her game a little bit. Like, her, her scheme here, her plan with the dinner went about as badly as it could go. Like, Chernobyl levels of bad for, if, if like, the world, like, I don't what the worst case scenario here was but this has to be like close to the worst case scenario uh everyone leaves edwina rushes out of the room as well mama sharma leaves as well so it's just kate and lady danbury and lady danbury taking no responsibility for any of this just like motions kate to go and talk to anthony about it so kate chases anthony into the hallway and of course i find this a little bit interesting where 
Anthony wasn't going to give Edwina a bit of his time, but as soon as Kate asks for it, of course he gives her a bit of his time, which I find to be a little bit, just a little bit of an interesting little dynamic going on here. Before we get to the sexiest thing I've ever watched on TV, we have the normal kind of part of this conversation at the beginning here. Kate's trying to explain to Anthony, like, hey, look, you, you are part of a scheme. You are part of a little bit of trickery to get a dowry. But Edwina didn't know about it. I promise you she's innocent. It was, it was all my doing. It's my fault. Edwina had nothing to do with this. You can't kind of hang her or leave her out to dry here because she didn't know anything about it. She is kind and sweet and everything and all that. And then, you know, Anthony says he's going to have to call off the marriage or whatever he says. And he talks about he talks about dowries. So I take it there is to be no dowry. And Kate, again, fair point. is like, you don't need a fucking dowry. Like, shut up. But also says, it's because of what you just did that the Sheffields withdrew it. Like, okay, now, now I'm with Anthony. Like, Kate, that is the most unfair thing you have ever said on this television show. Is blaming Anthony. Like, he just stood up and defended the fuck out of you and your family right in front of everybody for no he did not have to do that and he did anyway after finding out that you tricked him right and now you're here to blame him for not getting the dowry i am so out on this take from Kate. it is 125 percent not anthony's fault that the sheffields withdrew the dowry there was uh more than enough time for kate and lady danbury to figure out a better way to go about this than they did so zero percent anthony's fault terrible take from kate uh, to her point again the deception is what everyone else is doing and she points out kind of fairly that you don't need a like if if the whole thing here is if you actually want to marry edwina but the problem is a dowry you do not need it you are rich as you do not need the dowry and i put down in my notes i i, I agree with kate that he doesn't need the dowry I don't think that's the point, though. I think the point is that you are expected to receive one regardless. It's kind of like getting a gift at Christmas. Like, you you don't need... Like, a really rich family does not need gifts at Christmas. They're already super wealthy. But they still buy each other gifts at Christmas because it's kind of expected that you get a gift at Christmas. And so... I think what Kate's saying is fair financially. Like, if you're balancing the books, he does not need a dowry for Edwina. However, that's not really the point. I think the point is that he should get one any. Like, the, the way society is set up, unfairly and sillily, I almost just said sillily as a word, as silly as it is, is that you get a dowry. And so I get why Anthony's expecting one, even if he doesn't need it. That makes sense to me. But then, but then we get maybe the sexiest thing I've ever watched on television he blames Kate. You have made this marriage untenable. Like, oh boy, here we go. And what he's trying to say here is like, you as a person, like, I love you. You are the one, not this trickery. None of that. I don't actually care about the trickery. I now have a way out of this because you are the problem here. And oh, we're about to get into just, just perfect television. Kate says, you don't need to worry about me. As soon as you're married to Edwina, I will be gone off to India and that'll be that. And you can just be with Edwina. And he interrupts with, it is not far enough. Now I want to chime in here a little bit with a little bit of a personal anecdote. I know you aren't here to learn about my personal life or anything, but I enjoyed this line, the second viewing. I hadn't really thought about it the first viewing, but just a little bit of personal time with Bradley here in the middle of a podcast. Um, before COVID, I was dating somebody and they are, if I had to rank people, maybe the best person I've ever met. Just just the kindest, 
gentlest, most incredibly generous person. I don't, I don't know how to describe this person. Think of the person you like the most, and that's them. Like, just absolutely perfect. And we had been dating for years, I would say. And so that was awesome. It was great. Everything was lovely. But they are, they're from New Zealand, which is very, very far away from Vancouver. And so once COVID hit and they had to fly back to New Zealand, right, that all of this stuff happened and it sucked and all of that. So I don't need to, I'll spare you the details about how much that sucks. However, however, it has been three years, roughly, give or take since COVID started. Yeah, three years or so. And it is true. Like sometimes it just is not far enough. I went maybe three months ago on a date. The date was lovely. This person was lovely. We had a lovely time. We went to the cutest coffee shop. Actually, this person I went on the date with picked the coffee shop and it was the perfect place to take me on a date because it was a little coffee shop attached to a little bookstore and it was all in one together. And that is the best place for me to go. And we were there for three and a half hours. Like everything was great. We hit it off. It was awesome. Like if you can talk over coffee for three and a half hours with someone you've never met, Things are going well. And yet, at the end, I was kind of just like, you know what? It's not the same. New Zealand is not far enough for this to work. You know what I mean? Like, there was just something about it where I was just like, like, the date was so, the date was good, but not as good as they used to be with the person from New Zealand. And so I was just like, man, that that sucks. New Zealand, can you go farther away? Like, like either come back to Vancouver or go farther away than New Zealand, because apparently that is not far enough for me to be like fully over that to go on this date, which by all accounts went exceptionally well. So that's just a little personal story for me to like really relate to this line a little bit, because I believe Anthony here. I wouldn't have believed Anthony if you would like three years ago, I would have said this is a little bit, you know, too, like too highbrow, too um you know philosophical for my liking but man it just hits so much harder the second time i watched this episode i was like you know what i can relate to that sometimes it truly is just not far enough but then things get so things get even sexier from here he talks about you know my honor is hanging by a thread every time i'm in your presence and they're getting really close and they're almost gonna kiss each other and more attractive you know attractive people saying attractive things to each other and then he drops you are the bane of my existence and the object of all my desires. Now, this surely must be a line from the book because there's no way a writer of this show just created it whole cloth out of nothing. However, the one thing I want to note here is how fun this line is to say in 2022. I really feel like if this show was not set in the Regency era, telling somebody you're the object of all their desires is just a little bit weird. Just a little bit weird. I mean, it helps that these are two really attractive people that clearly are super into each other, but it's just a line that if it was delivered by anyone but Anthony Bridgerton in this moment would be a little bit, you know, creepy and weird, but we'll roll with it for here. You are the bane of my existence and the object of all my desires. Things are getting good. Things are getting sexy. I am so into this scene. Then Anthony kind of, he he dips a little bit when he says, do you even know all the ways a lady can be seduced? Like, okay, Anthony, like whatever. Like, okay, Mr. Seduction over here knows all of the ways to seduce a lady, whatever. But it gave me vibes to the, the Duke in season one when he was telling Daphne, like, if I wanted to sleep with you, I would need five minutes in a drawing room or something. Like, yeah, it's kind of, yeah, okay, bud. Okay, big guy who knows all about sex and stuff. 
like cool whatever um but the way like you know it's it's a dumb line but it's still the way they're like they're really close together and it's all sexy and stuff so that's fine uh that's what anthony says and it, it works because man i put in my notes is this the sexiest thing i've ever watched and so they're talking to each other they're their their mouths are imperceptibly close to each other i'm shocked they didn't just start making out here this door is wide open what i thought was going to happen here for sure was that someone would come in and see them and then 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 they would have to get married and that was going to be the problem because somehow they're going to have to get together at some point and i thought this was the moment but it's not anthony pulls away anthony pulls away here for a minute um to say like if i marry edwina i will spend my entire marriage thinking about you like that is how this is gonna go and kate's kind of into it like not into that situation but she's saying her feelings here like she is fully now opening herself up to anthony and saying like i can't remember what the line was but she has her own sexy lines in here where she's telling anthony how she feels and how she's super into him as well and i was like finally these two are being honest with each other this is gonna go super well but then anthony pulls away and i got really skylar sister vibes from this a little bit like he wants angelica but he's gonna marry eliza and that's kind of how that's gonna go and i'm just fascinated to see how this relationship turns out because this scene was incredible it was just as attractive and sexy as it needed to be uh, other than the the do you even know all the ways a lady can be seduced line the, the dialogue was perfect and everything but man just what a scene here the only little tidbit i have is like i just how i there is progression but i feel like i've watched them almost kiss 150 times like there is progression now they're now they're actually admitting their feelings for each other to each other which is progression but man, like, can they just kiss? Like, do they need to kiss at some point soon? Or this is going to get, like, super repetitive. We move from the sexiest thing I've ever seen on TV to the Featherington house, where <laughs> now that Lord Featherington is hooked up with Prudence, no one's inviting them to anything. And it's like, yeah, because he's not available anymore, that's fine. But also, you know, you're marrying your cousin. I don't know how much that has to do with it, but that's probably not ideal either. Lady Featherington hilariously says, we are meant to be a distinguished family right before opting into one of the biggest scams of all time like okay i'm sure all distinguished families try and scam all the other distinguished families out of their money mr featherington again suggests ending the engagement and she says it's not an option to which i wrote i mean it is an option and it's a pretty good option and probably the best option it would be really easy he'd get out there he'd marry caliper you get the dowry no trickery or scamming required but no, no 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 lady featherington is on the case she is going to scam her way into the riches she needs she is going to get lord featherington to just tell the people to invest in their minds anyway and they won't know the difference because they're not going to take a ship to the americas to check them out so i mean i wonder how well this works in 1814 where it's like you can just tell people yo my minds are cruising want to invest in them and you can just take their money like i don't know what the rules and the laws are about this stuff but it's a plan that might work again not as well as the just you know letting miss cowper marry lord featherington and getting the dowry plan but it's a plan nonetheless we skip from there to the sharma fallout edwina and kate having the fallout from the dinner uh, edwina is just kind of sitting there looking out a window you know just you know probably regretting the evening and wishing it went entirely differently than it did especially the come down from how excited she was at the beginning she says to kate i have sensed you've not been entirely truthful which okay i haven't got that vibe but cool you've sensed it but but yeah yeah about the wrong thing though 
right? Like she's still, she was trying to be truthful about the, the dowry part of it. She's not being truthful still about how she feels for Anthony. So I like this little bit of, she's talking about one thing, but she really means another thing. Uh, I, I put here again, to be fair to Kate, she did try and tell you twice, but the writers interrupted her. So Edwina needs to be mad at the writers, not at Kate. Kate tried to tell her right before that dinner what was going on. Uh, Kate's reasoning here is fine. Like, hey, I was in charge. I was just doing what I thought was best, you know. And and, and to be fair, this is a good match. Anthony's a good match. Or you were, I was going to get you all that money. You were going to live comfortably as a Viscountess with the dowry. It was going to be great. Um, but Edwina's reasoning here kind of supersedes that. Like, I'm an adult. Okay, I think these people are meant to be 21. I think Daphne was meant to be 21 when she was out. Uh, you know, joining the, the season for the first time. So I'm going to assume Edwina's around 21 if Kate's around 26. Like, hey, I'm an adult now. I'm ready to make my own choices. I'm ready to do my own thing. Like, you need to tell me things about my life because I deserve to know them. And then I can wade through the muck myself instead of having you do it for me, which I appreciated from Edwina here. A moment of maturity, a moment of like, hey, sister, I not like anger. Like, I get what you were trying to do, but you just don't need to do it because I'm an adult now, which I thought was was really nice. Edwina's also done the math. She's got the calculator out. She knows how generous and wealthy Anthony is, which is a fun line. He's as generous as he is wealthy. Like, based on what? Like, you don't know. You don't... I don't think you can get a good sense of how generous Anthony's going to be with his money based on anything you've seen so far, other than him maybe buying you that horse. Anyways, it doesn't matter. I, I like where her head's at. And she says, don't worry about the dowry. It doesn't matter. As long as the Viscount doesn't want to end the engagement, then I'll marry him anyway. We'll still have tons of cash, and Anthony will provide for you. And then I wrote in my notes, yeah, the Viscount will provide for Kate, all right. Like, I'm sure, I'm sure monetarily is all the providing that's going to be done here. Kate... Uh, Kate is kind of talking about Anthony and Edwina says, what burden would it be to marry the person that I love? So Kate's like, hey, you know, you don't have to carry. I didn't want you to carry this burden on your own. I wanted to carry it for you. Uh, and then Edwina's line here is awesome. Yeah, what burden would it be to marry the person that I love? Uh, instead of rattling teacups, Kate's a little more composed this time and says, yeah, like, do you love him? Is that what you want? Do you love the Viscount? And she goes, yes. Like the way he defended us, defended our family was incredible this morning. How could I not love the Viscount? Which just, oh, Edwina killing it, man. I like Edwina in this episode. She has a phenomenal episode. Just, yeah, that, that defense was sexy, Edwina. I would love Anthony too. We hop really quickly back to the rough and tumble streets of Bloomsbury or Gloomsbury or Cornwall or wherever we are. And Eloise is talking to Theo and she's come early and they're talking about their papers again. And then we get a cut of Penelope across the way, kind of looking at them. And I wrote in all caps in my notes, Pen, don't you dare fucking ruin this. I swear to God, this is so cute. And I'm happy for Eloise. If this turns into Penelope as Lady Whistledown ruining Theo for Eloise, I will be livid. This is the best thing that's ever happened to Eloise, Penelope. You're just going to leave her alone. And now I'm manifesting that energy for future episodes. In what might be the best cut to a scene in Bridgerton history, we cut to Benedict having sex with the the model lady, the the model and painter from. We, we, Benedict has been on screen for approximately one minute in this episode. We got the scene of the painting the nude model, the scene of the nude model painting him, and then now they're fucking, which is hilarious. Um, but it's really romantic and cute, and they're making out, and the the way he like wraps his arm around her is kind of nice, and it's just good, you know. We're the the Kate and Anthony thing is a really slow burn, so it's nice to see somebody in this world getting a little bit of action on the side while we're waiting for the real love story to, to flourish and, and blossom. So you know what? Good job, Benedict.
And we end again with Kate and Anthony taking the same ride to the woods that they do every morning, I, I guess. <laughs> I guess the routine never changes. Lady Whistledown has a fun line. Is it too late to turn back to duty and away from desire? Kind of putting Anthony in a middle spot here. Is he gonna, does he have to lean towards Kate now? Does he have to lean towards Edwina? How is this going to go? Uh, he comes and finds Kate at the morning ride spot and says, you know, uh, Kate wants to know what he's going to do. And he says, long have I wrestled with it? And it's like, okay, for 12 hours. Neither of them could sleep. So assuming none of them slept, right? Assuming they were both like thinking of each other that whole time too. And they didn't sleep. So roughly 12 hours from the end of the dinner to this morning? Or are we meant to understand that the days have passed since then? Anyways, uh, whatever. Long has he wrestled with it. And he can't go through with the engagement. He simply cannot. He likes Kate too much. It's not gonna, it's not gonna work. Kate then tries to say, as soon as you're married, I'm going to go to India. These feelings will... Or no, that's not Kate. That is not Kate. That is Anthony who says that. Like, I'm not going to marry Edwina at the end of the season. You guys are going to leave. It'll be like we never met. And that's how this is going to work. You're going to go back to India. I'm going to forget you exist. You're going to forget I exist. And we'll both be free from this. these feelings we have to each other. And I put, that's not how this works, Anthony. I don't think that's based on my little anecdote about New Zealand. I don't know if that's exactly how this is going to work, but you can try it. Go for it. Uh, Kate says, you know, I was wrong about the engagement. Like, what do you mean? You, you want me to marry her now? Like Anthony's a little bit confused. So he, he's trying to call it off and he's surprised that Kate doesn't want to call it off. Cause this episode started with Kate calling him a fool kind of in the jeweler scene for going through with this engagement after what passed between them in the library but you know edwina's chat got to kate a little bit and she needs to tell anthony like, hey you need to marry her now she is kind and loyal and and lovely and wonderful and she had nothing to do with this you kind of need to marry her this is how this goes anthony's a bit thrown off and then kate throws out she tries lord bridgerton a couple of times but then throws out the antony which is really cute because just the scene before the dinner, her and Edwina had a little bit of a chat about, uh, you know, Edwina's calling him Antony instead of Lord Bridgerton. And Kate was like, oh, has he asked you to call him by his given name now? And she's like, no, not yet, but he's going to be my husband. So the fact that Kate here gets to call him by his given name is really kind of cute and romantic in a, in a fun way. Um, but I really like that little small bit of writing here that was really clever. Kate is now saying, hey, you know what? You need to marry Edwina. I'm going to fuck off to India. These feelings will pass. That's not how this is going to work, Kate, but whatever. You can believe that's how this is going to work. I will not be the cause of you losing your honor or Edwina her happiness, which is a great sentiment. I'm willing to bet that with three episodes left, you will be the cause of both, but I'm happy right now that you're happy and or not happy, but you're, you know, at least head, head is on shoulders and the feelings are going to, you're determined. The feelings are going to pass. You're talking yourself into it. You will not be the cause of you losing your honor or Edwina, her happiness. You guys need to get married. Um, that's when she throws out the Antony. And I like what Anthony does here because he's an honorable guy. He's a gentleman. He's going to go, you know what? Fine. I will marry Edwina if that is what you truly want and that is what she truly wants. I still have no objections to Edwina as a person. I don't need the dowry. I will do it. I will do it as soon as possible as a matter of fact. And then I put, no, Anthony, this is the perfect out. You need to take it. I I think we're gonna get this wedding, which terrifies me because of the wedding sin comments I made in my um, instant reaction to this episode. But Anthony does not take the perfect out here. He is gonna marry Edwina as soon as possible. So he rides off and then the, the episode ends 
with Kate crying and oh that that got to me a little bit I was a little emotional for Kate she's juggling so much and she doesn't know how to feel and she doesn't know what to do and it's all we've all been there where there's just so many emotions and you're trying to sort through them and you can't really do it and you're making all these choices and some of them are good or some of them are bad and you can't figure it out and oh just the kind of breaking down and crying at the end as Anthony rides away just oofed this episode Kate really kind of I don't know if accepted is the right word, but I'll roll with it. Accepted her feelings this episode and is now kind of denying herself those feelings in favor of her sister at the end. Oh, just heartbreaking for her. And I think that's it. That's all, folks. I hope you enjoyed this scene-by-scene -scene breakdown of Season 2, Episode 5, entitled An Unthinkable Fate. If you did, make sure to rate and review the podcast wherever you are listening to it. Join the Facebook group and the Patreon. They are in the description below. The Facebook group is free, and we're just hanging out there and talking about Bridgerton and other pop culture things, so that's a good time. The Patreon is like an early access value-for-value value exchange. It's kind of like a tip jar with a little bit of bonus content over there if you want to go and check that out. Make sure to check us out on Twitter at Let's Dive Deep. Make sure to email your thoughts on the episode of Let's Dive Deep Pod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I will be back in your feeds with the breakdown for episode number six.